Hello and welcome to the Working Tools Masonic Podcast, where today we will have part two of our discussion with Most Worshipful Brother Russ Charbonia, past Grandmaster of California and founder of the Masonic Family Civility Project. Ladies and gentlemen, brethren all, welcome to the Working Tools Podcast, a casual conversation around Freemasonry. First, it's important to note that our opinions and thoughts are our own and do not reflect those of our Grand Lodge or respective craft or concordant bodies. Please connect with us and ask questions, either here on YouTube or on our Facebook page. We'd also appreciate a thumbs up and especially any comments on our videos. back with the Working Tools Masonic Podcast. I'm uh, Very Worshipful Brother Matthew Apple, and I'm with Very Worshipful Brother David Colbeth. We are Masons here in the state of Washington. And we've, we lost our usual uh, other co-host, Worshipful Brother Steve Chung from, from British Columbia. But we are, have uh, our special guest with us here today, Most Worshipful Brother Russ, who is a past Grand Master of California, as I said earlier, and the, the president of the Worldwide Civility Council, and is... Um, started this Masonic Family Civility Project, which is spread throughout the world. Most worship Brother Russ, welcome back. Good to see you, about, brother. And, uh, well, David uh, teased that maybe we would have a bit of an uh, <laughs> uh, introduction to, to you, uh, as, as you're a little bit of maybe your history, both in Masonry and out, that uh, you might want to share with us. be happy to. I was raised in Phoenix, Arizona, and uh, knew nothing about Freemasonry at all. Moved out to California in 1987, started dating Linda, who is now my wife of 28 years. Her father was Grand Master of California in 1982-83, and so he would schlep me to everything Masonic. <laughs> and one day we were coming back, Linda and I were in his back seat, he was driving, my mother-in-law Carolyn was in the passenger seat, and he pulled into his driveway, put the car in park, which is critical. Because about that time, I said, so, Harry, what does it take to become a Mason? And he was inside the house and back out with the petition so quick that if the car weren't in park, I know it would have gone through the garage door. <laughs> and uh, so that was the beginning of the end. I uh, was made a Mason, uh, Master Mason in May of 1992. Three years later, I was Master of the Lodge during our sesquicentennial. I will relay this story. Hopefully it's interesting to, to your listeners, but the night of my Master Mason degree, I came home and Linda wanted to know how it went. And I said, it was really neat. And guess what? What's that? I said, I'm in the line. And she says, do you have any idea what that means? And I said, I have none. <laughs> she says, well, I sure do. And you're in deep, deep trouble. <laughs> understatement, it turned out but have the privilege of, of serving our Grand Lodge in many, many different roles. And the Brethren elected me in 2014 to serve as Grand Master. And while it was an incredibly grueling experience, it was the most rewarding experience that Linda and I have had the privilege of going through. Uh, just seeing the good work and the good people, and including our youth orders, our Rainbow and Job's Daughters, and 
in Demolay. Uh, I've formed lifelong friendships that, but for masonry, we never would have that privilege. For sure. And California is one of the largest, if not the largest jurisdiction, isn't it? It's not the largest, but it's top three or four. Yeah. And, and not only just numbers, state. but also square footage. I mean, real estate wise, it's big. <laughs> yeah. Everybody tends to think that San Francisco is Northern California. It's, it's really central California because there's a whole lot more state before you get to, to Oregon South. <laughs> I think it was, was it Utah kind of has a North and a South Utah, if, if you will. And that's, that's half the size or a third of the size of California. So, and probably a tenth as many lodges. Yeah. I know one thing, talk about big, big states, big jurisdictions. In, I was reading an article about the Grandmaster of Texas, and apparently at one point, they, he would get off work, they would drive him to the airport, and he would get on a plane to fly to the other side to be able to make it in time. Did you have any of that kind of experience, or was it all road miles? I didn't have that much insanity, <laughs> um, but what we would do is we'd spend a couple of weeks in the north and a couple of weeks in the south and use home bases to, to drive most places. Yeah. I wasn't in the air as much in my year as Grandmaster as, as I was previous years where you're doing your planning and meeting with committees and, and getting your Grand Lodge officers together and doing all the planning. What kind of work did you do before Masonry or during Masonry? I mean, were, you, were you working or had you retired? Oh, no, no. <laughs> I'm still working, worked all through it. Uh, I'm a financial advisor, been in the field for 40 years. I'm an estate planning attorney and I have mediation practice. So. All of that tends to keep me plenty busy. Gotcha. So is it the mediation practice that sort of brought you to this civility project or? Not really. The mediation came about from being the financial planner and the, the attorney and feeling like I had some particular knack for helping people to resolve problems. You know, you, people that are getting a divorce, what have you, or a business dispute, they go in front of the judge and the judge plays King Solomon and splits the baby down the middle. And I feel I have a pretty good knack at figuring out what is really important to people and, and putting everything in the box, shaking it up, and have it come out in a way that benefits both of them instead of just 50-50. But my civility efforts do mesh with the mediation and, frankly, my other practices as well. In fact, I'll share something with your listeners. Um, Last year, almost exactly a year ago, we held what we called the Urgency of Civility Conference at the George Washington Masonic National Memorial in Alexandria, Virginia. And we brought together about 80 people who are all trying to restore civility in some part of society. And the whole objective was to try to figure out how we can work together to be more effective before it's too late. And one of the things that came out of that is that we should provide a certified civil designation to individuals, businesses, nonprofits, Masonic lodges, if you like. And the idea is that the person or the entity will agree to abide by certain rules of civility. And if one of their customers or clients or workers, whoever it is, says, you know what, I'm not sure that, that Dave was abiding by these guidelines, they can file uh, just as an example. Dave. No, no. It's <laughs> really hypothetical. But they can file a civility concern with us, not a complaint, but a concern. And we will then engage Dave as an example and talk about why this was felt to be uncivil and give him ideas, some coaching as to how he can rectify it going forward. 
And we're kind of thinking, can you imagine Facebook, you being able to apply for this on your Facebook post and your Instagram and again, your company and your Masonic Lodge and so on. We think it will become a, a real subtle way for people to start looking for that certification and have an extra degree of confidence that they're going to be treating, treated with integrity and respect. It's almost like a code of ethics for civility. Exactly. That's good housekeeping seal of approval, if you will. Right, right. I'm, I'm a real estate broker and shameless plug. And uh, same, same idea as a, as a realtor, uh, not just a real estate agent, but as a realtor, the National Association of Realtors has a code of ethics, a 17-part code of ethics that uh, is, is, sounds very sim, sim, similar. And so when I go to work with somebody and I know they're actually a realtor and not just a real estate broker, then I know that I can expect from them a higher level of ethics, even though we're all supposed to be ethical. I can expect from them a higher level of ethics. Absolutely. So same idea with this. So maybe it could be more than just a seal or a, a an approval or a, a sign that you get on your Facebook page, but actually a certification. You talked in the last show about ambassadors. Could that go in line with, it could be a certified ambassador, and so there'd be higher levels to that or something? Great. Thanks. You just gave me more work. Yeah, I think that's a terrific idea. <laughs> Sorry. I'll put you in charge of it. <laughs> exactly. Thank you, most worshipful, but uh, <laughs> get my standard Masonic answer. <laughs> so, which which so, one of five committees would you like me to give up? Exactly. <laughs> you mentioned the volunteer for that is if you don't show up to the meeting. You mentioned uh, online and, and Facebook and stuff and I guess once again, I'm, I'm, I'm embarking on a question without knowing where the question is in this statement, but it seems like some of the least civil dialogue I have seen um, amongst, you know, just people, and particularly among Masons, somewhat to my surprise, is is online. Is there a, uh, an aspect of this project it, that applies to I call it keyboard that? courage. Yeah, hiding behind the keyboard, people get really bold. It's, it's really something to see. Now, I'm not one of these people that's going to say social media is the scourge of the earth. Social media is a tool, just like any tool. A knife can be used to prepare your food and for great good, or it can be used to murder somebody. We talked in the last episode about the, the gavel in the hands of the master can be made an instrument of great good or of greater evil. Social media I put on the same scale. We all have connected with people that we never thought we would ever see again, thanks to social media. But yes, we have all seen the incredibly hurtful and painful aspects to it. I give myself about 10 or 15 minutes a day to be on social media. And every now and then I will plop a controversial statement into Facebook, um, not just to poke the crazy, but to see what kinds of reactions I am going to get. But more than that, to demonstrate that we can have those difficult conversations in a civil manner. Now, I've also observed and participated in some conversations among mostly Masons that have gone entirely off the rails. And one thing that I do on occasion is I'll just simply put hashtag Masons for civility. And this is doing one of two things. Either they're blocking me unfriending me and taking the conversation elsewhere, which is okay. Or it's actually quieting the conversation down. And I do see that happening. 
I think that's a somewhat subtle way of doing it without being too preachy. Occasionally, I will direct message somebody and say, you know what, the way I saw that, it's just not, in, not appropriate. I'd love to have a conversation with you about it. A little whisper in their kind words in their ear. Yeah. Heard that somewhere. I don't know where. It was, it was hashtag Masons for Civility. Exactly. Masons okay. number four, Civility. And that's oh, number four. Okay. Well, we'll be able to put that in the. In the seems to quiet it down a little bit. One of the things I've, it's not necessarily the Civility Project, but I've thought of Facebook. It used to be that you think of Facebook as a, as a party you're going to. When we're talking about marketing and advertising and things for, you know, you don't go to a party and stand up and say, hey, I've got a house for sale or I've got this thing. You know, you don't go do that. So from a marketing standpoint, it's a house party. But I look at it when you're posting something, your own Facebook page, your own personal Facebook page, is kind of like your front lawn. And if I put a sign out my front lawn and it says something, whatever it is, is, do you have the right to come onto my property, my personal property and comment or spray paint it or put your own sign next to my sign? Now, if I put a sign next to it, it says, what do you think? Or add the comment. Yeah. Then I'm open game. Yeah. Come on. Come on to my front lawn. Same thing if you posted something, even if it was controversial, what, what, what is my right? Unless you're asking for it, unless you said, hey, what do you think? I don't have any right to come onto your property and post a sign next to yours that says something controversial or different. Now, if I want to maybe put a thumbs up, I think that's kind of a given on Facebook and given on social media, the thumbs up stuff. But it's, even a thumbs down, I won't even thumbs down somebody's post because again, I look at it as their front yard and I'm putting this big thumb in their front yard that says, I don't, I don't agree with it. Who am I? I'm just some dude. <laughs> but you're willing to apply some temperance right. to, to your words and your actions and so on. And I think it's probably fair to say you're able to do that in great measure because of your Masonic teachings. But we all are human. We're all going to blow it on occasion. And I think our job when we do blow it is to do what we can to rectify the situation. And oftentimes that means an apology. When I've harmed you, I need to fess up to it, issue a legitimate apology, not just I'm sorry you took it that way, Matt, but I'm sorry for what I did to harm you, Matt. But then there's another very, very important part of this, and that is to do all I can to return our relationship back to where it was. And that's hard. Apologizing is hard enough, but we can do that. But making, allowing yourself to be vulnerable and figuring out what you need to be doing to right the situation with that other party, it's a whole lot harder. And it's a whole lot more work. But that's taking the personal responsibility that's required to preserve that relationship. Do you have any analogies or secret squirrel answers on that piece of it that in the workforce and other places you've heard that one attaboyed or, you know, one, oops, uh, you know, kills multiple attaboys. Is, is there any secret sauce to trying to rectify other than just like what you said, I'm sorry for doing this. Can you forgive me? What can I do to make it better? Is there any secret sauce there? Well, and I would actually, not ask if you can forgive me. That may not be a fair question to ask at that point. Sure. This person, the trust may have been broken. And the only thing that's going to, to heal that is time and your behavior in the interim so that you're earning that forgiveness over time. 
And there's some things that frankly aren't forgivable. You talk about a marriage where somebody's been unfaithful and so on, but they decide that they're going to be able to move on um, for the sake of the marriage. It's not really fair to ask for forgiveness for that, that, that uh, trespass that you've, that you've created. But what you can ask for is a willingness to allow you to rebuild that trust, to rebuild that integrity. Um, so no, there is no secret sauce. It takes um, demonstration after demonstration of the commitment to rectify it. It takes allowing yourself to be vulnerable and you know, give it to me. You tell me, how can I begin to make this right? And that's going to hurt. Now, taking this a slightly different uh, angle that, that you started to go, Dave, is uh, our teachings teach us to gently admonish e each other of our errors. That doesn't mean ignore a person's errors. It is our duty to help them to improve. But how do we do that? We're taught to whisper that good counsel in their ear. And this is where I think you were going. We need to admonish privately and praise publicly. And I think we forget to do both of those. We're more than happy to admonish publicly. We're especially happy to do that on social, social media. That's not the time or place to be doing that. Yeah, I, there was a speaker I, I had admired years ago. It was a business speaker, but he talked about stepping on shoes while straightening their tie. And I always thought that was a neat idea. You don't really notice that they're stepping on their shoes, but what you do notice is them straightening their tie. And that was, I'm, I'm, you're welcome. Everybody's welcome to use it. I, I always say that if I hear something great, I say, well, Russ always said, and then someone I knew always said, and then I've always said after the third time it's mine. But. Right. Right. <laughs> I think you've already given me credit tonight for things that I came up with. There's so, one other I'm sorry, go ahead. No, so you're, you're past grandmaster and you've got nothing else to do except uh, your financial planning business and mediation and past your attorney. I heard you say you were an attorney as well, a recovering attorney, it sounds like. And uh, so you've got all this stuff going on. Oh, let's add something, just like a typical Mason, let's add something else, the Civility Project. How did the Civility Project actually come into play? We talked, kind of briefly talked about it in the previous show, but what, what really happened? Did you wake up in the middle of the night in hot sweats or what? <laughs> he probably went on a podcast where he was not treated well, David. <laughs> well, it all happened in the backseat of Most Worshipful John Cooper's car as he was taking me from our, our Grand Lodge Executive Committee meeting to San Francisco airports to fly home. And I started talking about how the Conference of Grand Masters in North America was coming up, and he was the conference chair of it. And I suggested that it seems like the biggest thing we ever accomplished at these conferences is where we're going to hold the conference three years hence. <laughs> and I, he says, well, what do you have in mind? I said, well, you know, the world about us is getting pretty ugly, pretty uncivil. As Freemasons, we have the language and the tools and the principles of civility. How about if we talk to the craft about us standing for something and really making a stand and, and making a difference in the world? And so he consulted with his planning committee and so on. And long story short, we presented it to them. We broke into the World Cafe, if you're familiar with that arrangement, where you can get a lot of feedback from many, many people. We had hundreds of people providing feedback. And that was the birth of what is today the Masonic Family Civility Project. 
I'll be darned six, almost six and a half years ago. I, I'm not actually familiar with the cafe. Is that is, that's not the the round table, the UN system, is it? The round table in the conference guy masters, or is it something different? Uh, it, it is very similar to that, um, but the idea is that you have uh, eight or ten people at a round table okay. with pads of paper and so on that they can write, and they're just giving them very broad um, subjects, and they're just brainstorming. Gotcha. And out of that brainstorming came a resolution that we presented to the, the delegates the following morning. And I'll go into some detail with this because I think it may be interesting to your listeners. But the resolution had two parts. The first part is that we would all agree to be more civil in our own behavior. Pretty apple pie. Hard to argue with that. Second part was that we would formulate a, a task force. Nobody would be obligated to pay anything for it or be a part of it or what have you. And this task force would initially work on two things. A, it would create a civility toolkit. And B, since Masons have brought people together of disparate thought and opinion and background for, for the ages, that we would just do just that and have a civility convening. So the resolution is presented, the motion's made, it's seconded, and now it's time for discussion. And the way this works, if you can picture about 800 people there, but there's only 64 grand jurisdictions with their respective grand master at the table. And it's in a great big U shape by alphabet, alphabet by their territory. And um, so a most forceful John Cooper of whom I just spoke was the conference chair. So he's running it and he asked for comments. And initially the comments are all glowing. Yes. Greatest thing, greatest idea ever. And I'm, secretly begging, praying for John to call for the question. <laughs> and then any of you that are, have presided as master of your lodge, you know that point in the conversation where it starts to go off the rails. Uh -huh. And that's where I really start praying for him to call for the question. But John being the, the consummate gentleman that he is, allowed the conversation to continue. And all of a sudden it started to veer off to where I know it's in some danger. Everybody's finally all spoken out. John calls for the question. Now there's 60 voting delegates. You need two thirds affirmative votes to pass, which for my math wizards out there means we need 40 yeses. Call for the question. We have 30 yes. We have 20 no. Which means we had what? <laughs> 10 who didn't have the guts to raise their hand for or against. I don't object to the 20 who had the guts to vote no. My concern was the 10 who didn't have the guts one way or the other. Huh. So the motion failed. So the meeting is adjourned. I go to a corner of the ballroom, not to sulk, but rather I just hold my hand up. And everybody that had been helping me came over and they said, so Russ, what do you think we should do now? And I said, I think we should form a task force and we should work on building a civility toolkit. <laughs> in the and As so if by magic. And a whole lot more in the intervening years. <laughs> As if by magic. You, you mentioned uh, that there was, there's been some significant West Coast involvement. Do you think that lends itself to the, the Western Conference of Grandmasters that is held just preceding the Conference of Grandmasters that is a little more focused and, I don't say more friendly, but certainly those West Coast Grandmasters and past Grandmasters do have more dialogue with each other and, and because of proximity. Well, every region has such a conference, um, and I have not had the privilege of attending any of the, other, the others, so I can't compare them. But I will tell you, you're, you're spot on in that the Western Conference is very tight-knit. 
I mean, you are friends for life with those who overlap your term in, in, the, in the East. Um, but I think there's even something a little more basic than that. And the sense that I had was it was kind of the Northeastern jurisdictions that were voting against it. And I think it was a bit of, hey, you Californian West Coast, you're, you're babies to Masonry. You've only been around for 150, 160 years. We've been around for 250 years. We know what it's all about. We're so I think there was a little masters. bit of that. And, you know, I'm going to own some of it too. Maybe we didn't make our case well enough. But it was also pretty trailblazing because, as I said, while there's always great presentations at the conference and incredible com camaraderie and idea generation, this is the first time in the many years I attended that they were actually asked to do something. So it was a bit out of character, and I think that may have made many of them feel uncomfortable. A little bit of that uh, typical past master. You, you mentioned something about the lodges, how the, well, the masters, the members of the lodges are all on the same level and can communicate. And I thought, hmm, he hasn't been to my lodge. No. <laughs> the old idea of the pastor, crotchety past master. But unfortunately, I'm, I, feel, I feel myself sometimes slipping into that role pretty easily. So I got to be careful. Well, you say that, and, and yeah, it's, it's the, the, the comic, the meme, if you will. Um, but I think the craft, from what I'm seeing, is actually airing on the other side, where they're not involving their past masters enough. Yeah. Where past masters, maybe because of that reputation that's been a, adopted over the years, are afraid to insert themselves. Now, they're always going to be the ones that don't have any fear of that at all. But I talk a lot about Masonic mentorship. And I think we're lacking a lot of that in today's world. If you think about it, the last time somebody learned you were a Mason, what did they say to you? Nine times out of ten, they're going to say, oh, my grandfather was a mason not their father and you and i were all in the same generation basically we lost a generation of membership and so the men that are coming to the craft don't have that benefit of their father or their father-in-law or their grandfather whispering that counsel in their ear so they need to rely on those past masters now there's two kinds of mentorship in my mind there's the formalized mentorship where somebody comes up to you, particularly or typically younger, and says, Matt, would you help me with this? Would you teach me your trade? And you agree to do that. Then there's the incidental or accidental men mentorship, where you may not even realize that you're mentoring somebody, but their eyes are upon you. And this is really a special with, uh, especially important with our Masonic youth. You want proof of how they're always watching you. If you have a 15 or 16-year-old new driver in your household and all you've told them all along is what? Don't ever text and drive. But the minute you get in the car with them and they see you do it, all your words made no difference whatsoever. You just told them it was okay. Yeah. So it's that incidental or accidental member mentorship that we need to realize the role we're taking on and be the kind of example that we want others to attempt to emulate. Absolutely. Well, what, what great words to, uh, to kind of wrap this up. I really appreciate Russ. We, we could talk for another hour or two, probably pretty easily, I think. Uh, but thank you so much for taking the time out tonight to chat with us and appreciate all that you do for youth groups in California and Masons in general and in population period. It's my pleasure. I, That's where the reward comes. Thank you, brother. 
I do have one quick dumb question. The logo behind you there, the looks like it says repairing the world by improving ourselves. Is that, that was, was my, that your your grandmaster logo or was that from the civility exactly. project? Or? No, that was my theme as grandmaster. Repairing the world by improving ourselves. That's that's a I approve. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good one. Well, on that note, um, I guess one last time, would you like to uh, to uh, repeat the the website and or email or how to get in contact with the Masonic Civility Project? I'd be happy to. You may go to MasonicCivility.org, MasonicCivility.org. And if you care to reach me, you may find me at info at MasonicCivility.org. And on that note, on behalf of uh, Very Worship Brother David and myself, thank you very much, Most Worshipful Sir, for, uh, for joining us today. Indeed, and, uh, my pleasure. And we look forward to seeing everybody on the next issue, or next episode, of the Working Tools Masonic Podcast. Goodbye. <laughs>